first I wanted to talk about a few of the issues that were at stake in the Protestant Reformation. And then, because my emphasis is art history, I wanted to say a few words about the way in which the history of art helped foment or play into the Reformation, and then a few of the effects that the Reformation had on the history of art. These are going to be very general comments. But just to remind people, the Reformation was anything, the Protestant Reformation was anything but a purely religious phenomenon. It was very involved with social issues, politics, finances throughout Europe in this period, political hegemony. Um, and uh, in many ways, and actually I, I had been beginning with a map, um, I think of it as a, a somewhat north versus, versus south issue. In other words, a lot of the control, political and religious control of greater Europe was centered in with the Spanish Habsburgs down here and with the papacy down here, whereas a whole lot of the faithful lived up there, okay? And um, this came to cause some, some problems. One of the issues was how you got saved. Were you saved because God granted you grace before time even began, and you had no way of changing that? You just had to pray that you were in the elect and... You, would, you were predestined to a good or a bad result? Or could you, by doing certain things on your own, work off your background of sin and work your way into heaven? Now, it's fine to talk about working your way into heaven if that means to distribute food to the poor, things like that. But more and more in this period, good works were defined not as much by doing charitable acts as by paying charitable funds, okay? And this meant that the richer you were, the more chance you had of getting into heaven. And this did not sit well with the poor, since obviously Christ's ministry was very much to the poor, all right? So um, the Catholic position was that you could work your way into heaven through good works. The Protestant position was more or less that you couldn't. These are broad generalizations, people, but I just want to try to set up some of these things. Um, access to Christ without intercession of the priests or saints. Many Protestants thought that Roman Catholicism, Catholicism had become um, idolatry with all sorts of gods. People prayed to the Virgin Mary, St. Bridget, St. Christopher, St. Jerome, all of, these other, all of these other figures, and not directly to Christ. Plus, the Catholic Church did not allow you to access Christ on your own. You needed to do this through intercessors and mediators, either priests or saints or some other holy sorts of figures. So many wanted in, instead a clergy of all believers. It's amazing to think that before the Protestant Revolution, hardly any Christians read the Bible. Some read some Gospels, if they were highly educated. But basically, the Bible was something that was read by the clergy in order to be interpreted to the rest of us. Because, as we all know, there are many possible interpretations of lots of Bible passages. And it was feared that this could get out of control if, if the priest did not maintain that control. And they were right. Um, 
local versus papal and holy Roman imperial control. I mentioned that for a moment. Uh, the, uh, uh, the idea that the northern territories of Europe were in some ways under the constant yoke, taxation, uh, authority of these southern uh, areas. And not least, in the early 1500s, a pope came to power, I'm going to show a picture of him in a minute, that, um, is there? Um, that um, uh, named Julius II, who decided to rebuild the city of Rome. And he undertook a number of extremely lavish projects that we think of today as the greatest works of European art ever made. Michelangelo's, Raphael's, things like this. But he needed a lot of money to do it. And the way he did that was, why, was by sending his representatives to Northern Europe to sell indulgences to take time off of your time in purgatory. But of course, this also was subject to the abuse that the rich were much more able to buy indulgences than the poor. Okay, so I'll start over. No, I'm not. <laughs> then, when people actually got the Bible in their hands, there was, and this is where the artwork comes in, this little matter of the second commandment. I tend to think of it as the second amendment, but it's actually the, the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a sculptured image or any likeness of what is in the heavens above or in the earth below, nor bow down or serve them there was supposed to be no figural representation, and especially of God, right? And as we know, the history of European art up until this period is filled with images of God. And so another issue that some Protestants had more strongly than others was wanting to, um, to eliminate or at least tone down religious imagery. Okay. Um, now, I want to talk for just a minute about some of the ways in artwork had an effect in bringing about the Reformation. For one thing, a genre of artwork, a type of object, developed in the later Middle Ages, which was called a Book of Hours, which allowed individual people, now these had to be pretty rich people, but individual people to have access on their person to their means of saying the prayers through the day without having to go to church or be involved with a priest. And this is one of the earlier of these books. It's the Hour of, Hours of Jean Poussel. From, uh, I'm sorry, the Hours of Jean Devreux, who was the Queen of France, by the artist Jean Poussel, um, from about 1325. And this was the size of it. You know, I show it up there, and it looks huge. It was this. This is one of the actual facsimile pages. Very privatized means of devotion that you could put in your sleeve, carry around all of that. And this actually shows someone doing what one was supposed to do with the Book of Hours. Sit with the Book of Hours, which just by, its, by its, your own work with the Book of Hours then allows you into this fictive but spiritual access to the Virgin and the Church. Okay. Um, for poorer people, there was another means of... Uh, of getting devotional materials around. And this was the development of inexpensive prints on paper. And um, people would, could buy these prints, either black and white or for a little more, 
uh, hand-painted, like this of St. Christopher. And um, again, it tended to, to um, decentralize devotion in certain ways. Then came Julius II. And Julius II was a, he's also known as the warrior pope. He, he uh, waged a lot of wars and expanded the territory of the, of the papacy. But he also had some very grand designs for himself and his family's heritage in Rome. And his, uh, he was related to Pope Sixtus IV, who was the one who created the Sistine Chapel. Okay? Um, the same is from the same Della Rovera family. And he decided that he wanted to rebuild the now 1,200-year-old Church of St. Peter's in Rome, which was pretty much falling apart. I mean, that's pretty old, it's true. He wanted to make it into an enormous church in order to be his own mausoleum. Okay. St. Peter, first pope, Julius II, greatest pope. Okay. And the designs he went about were to enlarge this church tremendously, tremendously. So you see the old church overlaid with the current St. Peter's and, um, and now in a, in a schematic. Well, this was a phenomenally expensive building project, as you might imagine. But it wasn't enough to build the church. He also thought that his private chapel should be pretty well decorated. And, oh, well, this, and this, of course, turned out to be the church complex uh, within a couple of generations. So we're talking about an enormous undertaking. Private chapel, Michelangelo, okay? Um, obviously a very, very expensive undertaking in itself, this decoration. For his private chambers in the Vatican, he hired Raphael and um, came up with, again, some of the works that we consider the most phenomenal in the history of art. But, as I've said, this all cost a lot of money, and so he had this campaign of sending out these factors into Northern Europe to sell objects like this. These are actually bills of indulgence that would, where for you know, the equivalent of $100,000, you could get 40,000 years off of purgatory. Or for the equivalent of half a million dollars, you could get four and a half million years off of purgatory. I mean, potentially purgatory was pretty infinite. Um, and, um, and of course, this uh, led, and, and then there also was the sale of images called indulgence images. These cost nowhere near as much, but these were certain images that uh, if you owned or prayed to them, you would get indulgence. And in some cases, they were sold with a little, with, when you have this printing down here, a little blank space so that the priest or the person who was selling them could fill in the number of years remission you were going to get, depending on how much you were willing to pay for the print. Okay. Now, um, I know I'm, making, I'm cynically making this sound all very corrupt, but this is exactly how corrupt many of the uh, Northern Europeans who went to Rome in this period felt the system was. They really were disgusted by it. Um, and here you see instance, a sale of indulgences inside a church, which is supposed to remind you of the money changers in the church from the Bible, the ones that were thrown out, right? 
So inside the church, selling these indulgences. And I think it's quite interesting that uh, you have the papal insignia here, and here you have the Medici insignia. This was uh, under a somewhat later pope, a member of the Medici family. But it very clearly sets up the Italian versus the northern aspects of this problem. Uh, of course, uh, Luther was the one who really brought this to a head. And um, he had visited Rome. He was disgusted by it. Um, he um, felt very strongly that individual human beings should have the Bible in their hands. And he, at a very early stage in uh, the early 1520s, translated the Bible for the first time into a vernacular language, which was into German. And for the first time, and this did not necessarily mean that everybody had to be literate even in German to have access to the Bible. What it did mean was that a, in a workspace, for instance, someone could have a copy of the Bible and be reading it to the other people as they worked. And so the word of God got uh, quite quickly disseminated. It's very interesting that Luther, who wanted to de-emphasize the saints, would have these propaganda images made of himself with a big halo. Okay? And Luther was one of the most brilliant propagandist strategists there has ever been in using new media, which at this time was printing. And this is uh, the title page of his Bible. But he didn't only do high-minded things like biblical translations. and He also ran dirty campaign ads. <laughs> this is his, the, the, uh, the, the, the Pope ass of Rome, okay? And, uh, and, this is, and, and Luther had Cranach put this together and, and, and publish it. And he published all sorts of horribly scatological things. I didn't bring you the ones of people doing their business in the papal tiara and stuff like that. Um, but uh, this is pretty good in itself, this, this, this ass with, oh, oh. Ah. Uh, this, this ass with breasts and a tail that's a donkey and different kinds of feet. And you see very clearly the papal insignia up there. And similarly, images of the papal insignia with money bags uh, instead of uh, the, um, the cords of the cardinal's hat. And very clearly comparing the pope with Judas. Okay, that's who those two figures are. All right. And actually, the pope is on the worst side from a heraldic point of perspective in this. Um, now, another problem was that a certain amount of religious imagery was becoming more and more, shall we say, provocative. Okay? And these are some uh, virgin and child images from the 1500s. And this also was arousing a certain amount of ire. And the upshot of this was a series of iconoclasms in the 1520s and then the 1560s in which people broke into churches and destroyed religious imagery. They destroyed religious imagery partly because rich people had been the ones who had the money to donate this imagery, therefore helping themselves get better access to the future. They also felt that the money spent on things like this should rightfully be spent on the poor. And so first, there was a huge wave of iconoclasm in, uh, in basically Switzerland. And then in the 1560s, another wave of iconoclasm in, uh, in the Netherlands, 
and the northern Netherlands, uh, which led to destruction of countless works of art. And one of the upshots of this is that there's a lot of artwork that was fabulous at the time that we just don't have. Okay, so there's, uh, we're missing a huge section of the artwork of that time. Um, of course, there are also these heroic stories of people who loved Jan van Eyck's Ghent altarpiece, uh, hiding it, and, and, and things like this. Or, or, and actually, a few, a few Protestants with great flourish whitewashed over great paintings, knowing that the whitewash could later be removed. Okay, um, so there were, you know, different factions. But you see things like this, statues that have been hacked terribly. Uh, this is an image of the seven works of mercy. This is three of the seven works of mercy. And if you look a little more carefully at this one, you can see the face seems a little smudged. And when you look at it up close, before it was restored, this is the kind of anger that was that was directed, interestingly, not toward the religious figures here either. This comes back to the religious, to the, the, the financial issue, but to the rich donor who's handing out the clothes in the image. Okay. Luther himself was not uh, free from the iconoclastic impulse. Believe me, there were plenty of people who uh, uh, were willing to take his image on as well. Um, in the 1560s and 70s, the Spanish Habsburgs invaded the northern part of Europe and, you find, and, and, and killed a lot of people, persecuted a lot of people, and eventually drove the, uh, the Protestants northward, which is what we were talking about in our first couple of lectures. Uh, this is an image by Peter Bruegel that conflates the massacre of the innocents from the Bible with the onslaught of Spanish troops led by the Duke of Alba in the center there. Uh, more rape and pillage in the period. Um, these, of course, are perhaps a little exaggerated. They are painted by the, by the people who are hoping for reform. And, um, and then this, sorry, this is such a strangely zebraed picture, but, but it did lead to many, many, one of the effects on art and the greater population was many, many artists and many merchants, many of the population fled the south to go to the north. Just a couple of the effects on artwork itself. Again, very superficial here. You have the, the clearing of the churches, where you before had these sculptures and altarpieces all over churches. You now had these simple whitewashed interiors. By the way, these are both paintings by Peter Sanradam. And when I first saw this, I could not believe it was a painting. I, I, it was so Peter Sandradam, I thought, took the first photograph in, in uh, the 1650s. Um, and another thing that happened was the, um, the change in subject matter uh, among Protestants, particularly, who were not as keen to have religious imagery. Well, what do all those artists do now that they're not employed making religious imagery? They start to make different sorts of genre forms. And so one of the reasons that we have these very popular genres today of everyday life painting, of landscape, of still life, is that artists found other ways to, to follow their craft. In the Catholic Church, there was also incredible renewal. And we've talked about this some before. I know we'll, we will again. You probably will be talking about this. 
Um, and I just wanted to remind you that the response to the Reformation on the Catholic Church was a growth in spirituality with uh, the work of people like El Greco, this dramatic immediacy of, of biblical text and, and uh, event that we see in the work of Caravaggio, and the heroic idea of Christ really blossoming in the work of Rubens. Okay? So that's just a quick introduction to everything going on there, and I will hand this over to Marika.